Hey friends, welcome to the Perfectionist Guide to Mothering. I'm your host, Andrea Fortenberry. This is a podcast about finding freedom from perfectionism to show up for the life God has for you. Mom life is messy, unpredictable, and just plain hard sometimes, but it's also amazing. I believe God uses it all to grow us into the women He wants us to be. We can't do motherhood on our own. We need God's help. We need wisdom from other moms. We need the encouragement of community. I hope you'll find all of that and more as you listen in. Welcome to episode 44 of The Perfectionist Guide to Mothering. Today's guest is a familiar friend to the show, Nicole Zazowski, who was with us for episode 13. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she's the author of two books, including her newest release on March 8th, which is called What If It's Wonderful? She lives in Connecticut with her husband and three young children. Welcome back to the show, Nicole. I'm so happy to get to talk with you again. Yay. I've been looking forward to this and I'm so excited for your newest book. What if it's wonderful? I've read the first several chapters and I'm just excited for you to share about celebration with our listeners today. Me too. So I want to read a line of the book from your introduction, if that's okay, and then let you explain a little bit about it. So you say, I was sure that celebration always came with a catch. So I became practiced in praying for the miracle while preparing to mourn. So will you unpack that for us a little bit? Absolutely. So when I first started thinking about the concepts in this book, I was coming out of a season that was really painful, which we talked about probably the last time I we spoke together and it was a prolonged season of a lot of loss and a lot of change and a lot of waiting. And, you know, when we go through something painful, there's the loss itself, whether that's literally the loss of a loved one or a betrayal or whatever that painful event was. And then there's the cost and the cost is the impact that that loss had to our identity and sense of safety. And what took me a really long time to realize, because I did identify other costs to that pain in that season, but I didn't realize that a lot of the cost had been to my joy and my willingness to embrace joy and my willingness to celebrate freely without being suspicious that the other shoe was going to drop. Right. And I realized this because, you know, I don't think any of our seasons are either all pain or all joy. I think most of life is a combination of those two, but we, we did enter a season that had more breakthrough, more good news. We welcomed our, our three beautiful children and, and there were some just really joyful moments. And I just noticed in myself that I was suspicious of the joy my thrill came was accompanied by a lot of fear. And I had trouble fully entering into that experience because I was just sure it was gonna be ripped from my hands if I was brave enough to actually hold the joy. Yeah. It's interesting because I've seen that in myself as well. And that sometimes 
I feel like, okay, I want to celebrate this. Yeah. But I'm anticipating like, what if it's taken or what if it's such a momentary thing, or even this is like totally crazy, but sometimes if I'm not worrying about something, then I'm like, oh, maybe I should worry about this because then I'll be prepared if something bad happens. You know, so we we play these interesting games in our mind that I think I love how your book really allows us to confront that in terms of why do we hold our breath? Why are we afraid for what could come next, even if we're in this really wonderful moment or time of celebration? Yeah. No, I I when I really dove into the research, both in terms of biblical study and the, and the neuroscience research around this, I learned that joy is the most vulnerable feeling we feel. Brene Brown mm-hmm. talked a lot about that and she has a term for it. She calls it foreboding joy, <laughs> <laughs> and which is such an interesting uh, combination of words, but it's really true because joy, if you, if you enter into that experience is automatically accompanied by the possibility of loss and disappointment. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of us without realizing it, I know this is true for the clients in my practice too. A lot of them is we start practicing disappointment and rehearsing disaster. We feel foolish if we hope or dream. And so the, and, and anxiety will try and prepare us for the worst case scenario. So our brain is is trying to be kind to us and saying, if you just ruminate on the worst case scenario, you'll be prepared for it and won't hurt as much if, if it comes. But the research is pretty clear. It, it actually doesn't protect us from any disappointment mm-hmm. and despair, but it does protect us from a lot of delight. Yeah, I, I agree. I like I said, have struggled with like that anxiety or worry or that kind of thing. And it really does. And most of the time, what we worry about doesn't even happen. And so I think about like how you're saying the costs, like all of this worry and anxiety and fear, like it robs us of that true delight of being present in the moment and experiencing the good things that God has for us because our mind goes somewhere else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Will you share, you know, you said you were researching and then with your clients and then just in your own life, what are some of those reasons that we refuse that hope, joy, and celebration that, that does come along in life? Yeah, I would say in my conversations and in my reading, there's a handful of, of hesitations and hindrances that come up most often. It's not an exhaustive list, but these are the ones that are repeated over and over again. So the first would be that fear, like, oh no, <laughs> what what's going to happen? It's been too smooth. It's been too easy. It's been too delightfully joyful. There must be something lurking around the corner. And some of us attach spiritual narrative to that, like, oh God, you know, somehow has to even out all this goodness with some hardship. So you know how I feel about that. God, I do not believe that God is the author of our suffering and has some sort of ledger up there that he's (laughs) right. You've been living living really well for a while. So there you go. So that, that would be the most common one. I think the others are, we are unsure of how to celebrate freely when we're in community with people that are in a hard season. And so 
we're worried that our celebration is going to be hurtful to other people. Similarly, we are unsure of how our invitation to celebrate, we're unsure of how to reconcile that with our value of humility. Uh, A lot of people feel like celebration is selfish and self-aggrandizing in some way. Another major one is we're waiting for a reason to celebrate. Mm -hmm. So we think, well, I'm willing to celebrate if I get good news or if this changes in my circumstances or if I realize that dream or accomplish that goal, we sort of always see it sitting on the other side of, of something that we hope for. And then finally, another main one, and I'm having some really interesting conversations on my Instagram right now around this one, but we, a lot of us who have walked through a hard season have a really special relationship with God in the midst of that pain. And we have grown in really significant ways that it's hard to imagine that growth without that pain and, and that growth and that relationship with God that feels so close is really precious to us. And we are unsure of what that closeness and what that growth looks like in the light of our joy. Mm -hmm. So we're afraid to lose that closeness and that growth if we were to fully engage in the joyful season. And, you know, Andrea, I don't think this is going to sound like a blanket statement. And I'm always careful about those. (laughs) I have this is true for my experience. And that's true for a lot of people I've talked to who have grown up in the church. I don't know that we do a great job of talking about what does it look like to connect with God in the light of our joy? How do we cultivate that closeness and engage with God in our celebration? And I can speak for myself. I did not have context for that. And it was one of the reasons that I was hesitant to embrace my joyful season. I think those are really good things for us to just kind of sit with and maybe think about like, is it the fear? Is it that I don't know how to move forward with God if life is delightful or joyful in a season? So I think those are really great things for us to, to analyze. I think so often we just act or react out of what we know or what our life experiences are, but it's really important to take that self-reflection and just think like, what is it that holds me back from that celebration? So thank you for giving us those, those reasons to think about. Sure. Another thing that I read in the book that I was like, oh, let's talk about this. So you said that refusing to celebrate is a form of control. And that really stood out to me because I realized over the years of just processing things in my own life through counseling and studying about perfectionism is that really it's just control. It's really just a desire to control. So how do you relate that, that refusal to celebrate as, as a form of control? Yes. It, it's not something that, again, it's not the face of control that we tend to picture when we picture control and what it right. looks like, but really it's trying to manage our emotions. So something I may have mentioned in our conversation last time as a restoration therapist, I believe there's four main ways that we tend to cope with our pain that are understandable, but not very helpful. Blame, shame, control, escape. And so this idea of pessimism and cynicism, like I'm not going to hope for the outcome that 
I really want to hope for and dream about. I'm going to prepare myself for the worst case scenario by being pessimistic or cynical about other people's motives is really a way of managing our emotion Mm -hmm. and making ourselves invulnerable, or at least an attempt to make Mm -hmm. ourselves invulnerable to life's pain, which is a strange form of control. Right. Yeah, it really is. And I think it goes back to what we kind of said at the beginning about how if we mentally prepare ourselves for a disastrous outcome or something bad happening, that that is the control part, right? And that us trying to do that is like preparing for that that what if that that could happen. So we think we would be prepared for it. But like you said, we probably wouldn't be no matter how much we plan and strategize for that worst case Mm -hmm. scenario, which is a balancing thing because I think sometimes it is good for us to think about important things like, do we have, yeah, do I have my things in order if something happened to us, but, but not like dwelling on those hard things. Right. So there's just that tension of like giving some care, but not, worry and worst case scenario thinking all the time. Yeah. I think it's a difference between doing what you're empowered to do. You know, God has given us agency mm-hmm. and he's given us the ability to think and take action and prepare wisely. But when worry takes over and fear takes over and starts imagining the worst case scenario in areas that we are not empowered to control, that's where our brain has bled into the area that we're trying to control something that we can't. And that will make us really anxious um, and keep us from being present in the delight of today. Yeah, definitely. I love the verse in Proverbs 31. I don't remember what the very last verse is, but it talks about how she can laugh at the days to come or she has no fear of the future. And so I just try to go back to that verse because it's such a good reminder of like, we can have delight and we can enjoy today without letting our mind go to that fear of what's to come. Absolutely. I find when my brain is spending too much time in the future or too much time in the past, it's not a peaceful place to be. Yeah. What are some practical things we could do to like bring our mind back from, I guess, like you're saying, dwelling in either of those places? What have you found are some helpful things? So the last third of the book really, I mean, it continues in the biblical story and personal story and and certainly the research as well, but it really focuses on doable practices, ways you can celebrate that do not require your circumstances to change. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorites that would address what you're talking about, staying present, and it's actually a really great anxiety technique as well, but it's, it's the practice of savoring Mm -hmm. and savoring is celebrating the ordinary. Your brain is very efficient. It only likes to hang on to what it thinks it needs. So if you're going through the everyday life of motherhood in all ages and stages, there's a lot of laundry and dinner prep (laughs) and picking crumbs up off the floor. (laughs) These are not things that your brain thinks it's going to need later. Mm -hmm. They're, They're second nature to a lot of us. They're not significant in terms of a unique activity in our day. But one practice that's so helpful 
is this idea of savoring. And the way that you do it is you just ask your five senses, your five traditional mm -hmm. senses, what they're going to remember about this exact moment. So I will often do this when I'm holding my daughter who just turned one because it happens many times a day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> but I just don't want to forget that feeling of holding her. And so, you know, I think, okay, I'm, I can smell her sweet infant smell. Mm -hmm. Her little peach fuzz on her head is tickling <laughs> in. I can hear her little snuggle snorts as she is falling into a deeper sleep. I can taste the, probably the lingering coffee in my mouth. Let's see here. And then just, you know, seeing the dark room and the way the light is and the rise and fall of her breathing. And that just not only helps me celebrate and mark the moment that my brain would be tempted to miss, but it also keeps me very present. I don't know about you, but when I'm doing those more mundane tasks that don't require a ton of brain energy, I will, my brain will easily spend time worrying about the future or replaying a conversation of the past or replaying something that I wish would have gone differently in the past. And that exercise is so helpful, not only in celebrating our lives, but just keeping us really present and usually reduces my anxiety as well. Oh, I love that. That's really great to just take a pause and to just think about those things. Because like you said, as moms, whether we're working or staying at home or combo, whatever our daily life looks like, I feel like we have so much to do as moms, right? So we're just like rushing to the next thing, you know, picking up a kid, throwing that laundry and doing dinner, all of those things. Like you said, that I think we just live with this hectic kind of pace and stress in our stomach of like, okay, I have managing all these things going from one place to the other, but really just, I love that. Just like an invitation to pause and take in what's going on around you. One other thing that I've tried to do over the, the years, it's, it's not always easy, but I just try to remember to similarly, like take snapshots in my mind of this season of life. So like yesterday, when I went downstairs to make breakfast, my daughter's socks and shoes were like under her place at the table. And that's not where they're supposed to be, but she is going to high school next year. So I've just really been thinking and trying to savor this season because it's just a couple more years until she goes off to her next. And so just thinking about like, I love seeing her shoes under the table. I don't want them to stay there all day, but I, it's just evidence of yeah. the goodness of God in this season, you know, her Absolutely. volleyball equipment on the floor, those, yep. those types of things <laughs> that we, we can see them as evidence instead of a burden or like just one more thing that's in our way. Absolutely. I love that. And how, how easily we can go to irritation in those moments and, and what a perspective shifter and relational connector it is when you can be like, okay, I'm, I'm grateful that she's here. I'm right. thankful that she's active and that she's in our home and there's evidence of her in our family, in these four walls. And what a gift that is. I'm going to celebrate that. And I'm still going to tell her to put her shoes away, but exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's both, right? <laughs> exactly. 
Are there any other practical ways we can celebrate or things that you've started to do in your own life that you want to share? There's a ton in the book. So if you're interested in listening to this, definitely that last third is for you. But yes, there's some I'd love to share. I'm trying to decide which ones. Digging for delight. That is another one that keeps us very present because it's something we do today. And I talk about this, I think it's chapter 18. And the chapter is about a few things, but, but largely play, but I didn't realize the power of collecting in our play. And, and the reason that's come to me is when I wrote that chapter, it's, it takes place on the beach. We were looking for sea glass. And that was an activity that my family started at the beginning of the pandemic. I don't know. I know it's looked different in different parts of the country in different seasons, but for us, all hiking, all parks, all everything was totally off limits. Mm -hmm. And I had to be out of the house with my four-year-old son and my four-month-old son. And it was winter (laughs) (laughs) in Connecticut. And so we were on every beach, I think, that exists on the Long Island Sound, picking up pieces of sea glass. And that became our family's way of connecting with each other, unplugging, we and we have collected these pieces. We have thousands of pieces now, and they're in these color coordinated jars. And Andrea, when I look at those jars and what's collected over time, I see how God has woven friendship and play and laughter into my family in a season that most of us would agree has been hard in different ways. I just get so tickled thinking about what we have collected. And it's, it's a metaphor, I think, for just having eyes to see his goodness, even in the midst of something that's really hard. And I'm not about toxic positivity. Toxic positivity dismisses pain, Mm -hmm. but joy is trusting God's promises in the midst of pain, knowing that there's goodness to be had, even if we're honest about what's really hard and what we wish was different. And so just the, which bleeds into another practice of rhythms and rituals, you know, Mm -hmm. having, having the same meal every week that feels really special. You know, I think when we talk about Sabbath, we often talk about what not to do on that day, (laughs) you know, not, not working, not getting ahead for the week, you know, releasing control. And I think that's good and wise. And I also think there's another part of the conversation that's really helpful that asks, what should we add to this day to make it feel celebratory and special and set apart mm-hmm. from the other days of the week? So also during the pandemic, my family had, like we just made communion really special with each other. And so oh, I love that. I would get these hot cross buns and that just made it a little bit more festive and fun. And, you know, and since we weren't physically going to church, I think it was a way of just celebrating the Lord's table with each other and that we've had a rhythm of going into New York City every Friday afternoon. And that's sort of our family playtime. And then thankfulness. I'll just mention that one real briefly that has become such an important piece for my celebration. And again, this is not a practice that requires anything to change. Right. We often talk about gratitude 
And gratitude is great. It does increase our joy. The research is very clear about that because it helps us note and name what is good. So it changes our vision and our perspective on our day. And it helps us put words to that experience in a way that helps us capture it. But what we don't often talk about is that the actual expression of the gratitude that we feel actually doubles our joy, the joy that we receive from gratitude. So, you know, I'm so thankful for you, Andrea, and getting to tell you that the difference you've made in my life and how excited I am when I see your name in my inbox and that we get to chat, even though we've never met in person, like, actually, I might feel that way. And I do. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, friend. (laughs) But actually getting to share that with you Mm. will double our joy. And it's been, and hopefully give some joy to the person receiving it as well. Right. And that's been also a helpful practice in my prayers. I think it's, you know, we talked at the beginning of this conversation about how do we engage with God in our celebration? Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving is an avenue we've been given to celebrate the gift with the giver, incorporating that into the conversation, because often my prayers look like, help. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I need something. (laughs) Exactly. That that is good and worthy prayers. I'm not diminishing or dampening that at all, but it's been so fun for me to have this other avenue of connecting with God in my joy when I'm celebrating something like his movement in my life or a gift he's given me through a person or some sort of breakthrough. So those are, those are things I I try to practice regularly and they make all the difference for me. Oh, I love that. And I meant to email this to you and I didn't, but my words for this year, it's interesting. I usually pick one word, but this year I felt two coming over and over Uh and they are pray and celebrate. So I love how you just like connected those with things. (laughs) You know, it's funny. You have no idea how many messages I have gotten in my Instagram DMS or emails. So many people have chosen either delight or celebrate for their words. Oh, that's so neat. And may, you know, I'm sure I'm hearing more about it because I've written a book on celebration, but I think it's something that we're all craving and we don't necessarily want to wait for the perfect circumstance anymore. Like, right. right. We don't, yeah. (laughs) We don't want to postpone that any longer. (laughs) Yes. And and the, the pandemic has lasted long enough now where I think people are like, okay, how do we work with what we have and stop Mm -hmm. waiting for certain things to change or evolve? And how do we cultivate joy if this is the life we have? And I, I love that because they're absolutely right. We don't have to wait. We can, mm-hmm. we can practice this right now. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you're talking about, you know, all of these things we can do to celebrate. And I think that as believers, sometimes we forget that celebration actually can be a spiritual discipline mm-hmm. for us. So will you elaborate about that? I think we focus on like, we want to pray, we want to worship, but we forget that God does call us to celebrate. Yes. I say in the book that I, growing up in the church, I likened celebration to dessert a little bit, like nice to have, but not essential to the Christian life Mm -hmm. and not essential to emotional and spiritual growth. And so 
At first, when I considered celebration a discipline, I was a little annoyed. <laughs> uh, I'll just be honest because I'm like, oh, really? Like, th- there's so many disciplines and things that require work. And I just, I wanted celebration to come naturally. I fell into that camp of wanting to have a reason to celebrate, (laughs) wanted it to be a reflex. And then I realized that that was a huge part of my hopelessness and anxiety and fear around transitions, Mm. particularly a new year. When we're talking about goals, we're talking about dreams. There's a lot of visioning for the future And I just wanted to curl up in a ball and hide under Mm -hmm. the covers so much so that I actually had some, some panic around that time of year for many years, because I think I realized I was coming into a transition like a new year and thinking, well, I hope I have a reason to celebrate this next season or this next year. I hope I have a reason to feel joy. And I realized that the locus of control Mm -hmm. (laughs) around my joy was so far out on the other side of these other things happening that it was incredibly disempowering. And so I felt hopeful then when I realized, no, this is something that I actually am empowered to cultivate in my life. This is something that I can practice. This is something that I can engage with regardless of what's going on in my life. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're, we're not robots. We're still going to feel pain in response to painful things. Right. And I do think there are everyday practices that we can incorporate and shifts in our perspective that make a huge difference. And one of them is that celebration is something I can be disciplined about incorporating and, and changing my life. Yeah, that's so good. I think sometimes too, we think celebration has to be like a gigantic party that takes all this effort to plan. So then sometimes it feels like an obligation, but I love the idea that, that yes, that is a form of celebration, but celebration looks, it can look very simple as well. So just like you were saying, savor, like being present, being thankful for what this day has, even in the midst of a hard thing. And I love that God tells us over and over to be, to be joyful always and to be thankful. And that when we are worried, like pray with Thanksgiving. And so I love how he so often ties those things together. Yeah, they are a common pair in scripture, which is really interesting because we do not think of, you know, Thanksgiving being an answer to a lot of our fear. So it's encouraging to look at it that way. And you're absolutely right. It does. And I don't want to diminish if you are a party planner or you do love to celebrate big, we need people like that. Right, right. That's a beautiful thing. But you are absolutely right. I, I disqualified myself from being a celebrator for a long time because I'm not a party planner. I'm not detail oriented. I often get overwhelmed in large groups, but it it can look like learning to receive and give affirmation. It can look like a lavish celebration, or it can look like sitting down one-on-one some, with someone and telling them why you're thankful for them. It can look like a simple practice that your whole family looks forward to every single week. I had a 
a professor in grad school who just she was telling us about how her family growing up celebrated Sabbath and they were from the seventh day Adventist tradition. So it okay. was a lot of ritual around Sabbath and her mom would open the windows and there would be f- the smell of fresh baked bread in the oven and a certain piano uh, music album would come on. And it's, it's like her whole body just relaxed into that because her senses knew that it was time to celebrate when, when those things mm-hmm. were in play. And so there is a rhythmic component that is just so good when we can practice that. Yeah, that's good. And I think, yeah, like you're saying, it can be simple as like we light a candle or we listen to music or really engaging our senses and letting those be cues to celebrate. That's really neat. Mm-hmm. So good. Well, friend, at the end of every episode, I like to ask some fun questions, which I've asked you before, but you'll probably have some different answers this time. So first one is what are you reading, watching, or listening to these days? Oh man, I, it's hard to choose. So I am going through the way of the heart by Henry Nowen with my spiritual director and Henry Nowen just has such a gift for talking about timeless truth and with a unique Mm -hmm. angle and that makes it stickier for me. And so I'm really enjoying that. I am also, I hesitate to recommend books that I haven't finished, but the personal librarian is a fiction book historical that I'm really enjoying. It was a good morning America book club pick at one point. Okay. Um, And it actually has two authors. I'm not sure why that is. Oh, interesting. That usually doesn't happen for fiction. No, no. I, this is a pure guess. I have no idea, but I thought maybe one maybe did the research around that time period and, yeah. and one is a New York Times bestselling author. But that's a really good book so far. I love Yellowstone, the show. I uh, have not watched it yet, but I see all the memes going around. <laughs> yeah, it's it's brutal. It's definitely not for the faint of heart in terms okay. of and um, okay. It's it's quite brutal, but it is the plot is very good and the characters are very good. And then listening to I've been listening to a lot of French music lately. Oh, like, like okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. I have do you, where do you listen to it? Just like iTunes or Spotify or do you uh, Pandora. Pandora. Uh, okay, yeah. There's a app on our TV that I usually just oh cool. Okay, that's very neat. I love that. Awesome. Next question, what is a favorite product, service, or practice that makes your life easier? Well, we've talked a lot about practices. So yes. Products. Okay. I can't stop telling people about these. My mom put them in my stocking and they've been awesome. I need to restock. But they're, they're a bath bomb consistency, but they're more like a large coin shape. Okay. And they're eucalyptus essentially tablets um, put in the bottom of your shower. Oh, shower steamers. Yeah. Something like I've heard of this. Okay. And they just dissolve like a bath bomb would in your bath, but they infuse your shower with this eucalyptus smell. And I am such a spa person, but can't afford to go all the time. So (laughs) it's just like a little treat. Yeah. Spa at home. Yes, exactly. I love those. Oh, awesome. I will have to 
check into that. I've done like when I have a cold or something, I'll drop like some essential oils like near yep. the drain, but not so kind of similar, yeah. but very similar thing. Yeah. Neat. Love that. Next question is what is your best soul or self-care tip for moms? Mm, I am a bath girl. <laughs> I love me too. I love a good bath. <laughs> yeah. That may have been my answer last time. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's some deeper answers to that too. I have been waking up early, which I know is hard and doesn't always happen in different seasons of my motherhood. So, but it is happening right now in this season. And I, I do read a short bit of scripture and I end with prayer, but in between, I just sit with the Lord mm. and just focus on being in his presence. And I don't talk, I just receive mm-hmm. his presence. And that's been, I, I can't explain it, but Henry Nowen would say that's the furnace of, of transformation. So I do, I do feel like I enter my day different when I'm able to do that. I can't really explain what happens in that time, but yeah. it's powerful for me. I love that. I think you did share that last time. And, and I, I love yeah, about the taking the bath. And I think really like we just get to be still, right? Like a shower, we're like, again, we were talking earlier about like this hurried pace, like onto the next thing. So I feel like a bath makes me slow down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good transition from everything I've been thinking about that day to sleep. Like I, I just need mm-hmm. often I see clients really late into the night or I'm working on book stuff really late into the night. And so to just slam into bed is a little too much. <laughs> right. You need to transition. <laughs> yeah. My brain keeps going. I find when there's nothing that's transitioning. So it's helpful in that regard. Yeah. Good. What is God teaching you in this season? The courage to celebrate. <laughs> I think, um, yeah. Now with your book launch and your teaching others to celebrate, it's like, okay, Nicole, here you go. Here's your opportunity to fully yeah, embrace this. I am amazed how many opportunities Mm -hmm. I have to practice the words that God gave me in writing the book in the process of launching the book. So that is definitely what I'm working on. I, I learned a lot in writing it and I do feel like it, it has changed my life, but it's also continuing to change my life. I'm still, Mm -hmm. I wrote it from the mud pit as well. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's good. I hear so many (laughs) friends that have written books that are like, just because I write this, it doesn't mean I'm the expert. It's because I needed it. And it's something that you probably will still need, you know, going forward. Very well said. So good. Well, friend, where can people connect with you? Where can they find the book? Absolutely. So you can buy the book on Amazon or anywhere you like to purchase books. You can connect with me. I love hearing from readers and listeners. I try to respond to every message. I'm sure I don't do that perfectly, but you can connect with me on my website, Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E-Z-A-S-O-W-S-K-I.com. And I hang out on Instagram the most in terms of social media outlets. So um, just at Nicole Zazowski there. Awesome. I will link all of that in the show notes. Thank you, Nicole, for talking to us about celebration and just know I'm celebrating you and this book and what it's going to bring to the world. Thanks so much, Andrea. It was so fun to talk with you. As we 
go, I want to remind you that you're doing an amazing job as a mom. No, you're not perfect. None of us are. There's no such thing. But you're showing up, you're learning from your mistakes, and you've got God on your side. He fills in the gaps of our imperfections, and we can trust Him. Keep going, my friends. You are doing good and meaningful work. I'll see you next time.